Grab your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to the book of Luke, chapter 23. Luke 23. As I mentioned a few moments ago, we are walking through the final words of Jesus. Last week, we covered two of the statements. We briefly hit on one, and we spent a lot of time covering the other. We talked about how Jesus said, I am thirsty, and then shortly after that, he said the words, it is finished. And together, uh, with the Holy Spirit, we finished some things in this church last Sunday, finished some things in our lives. Even this week, we just, some things that have been hanging on for decades ended in the name of Jesus. It's been a good week. It's been a really good week. And we're going to conclude now. Uh, or we're going we're gonna to go now to one statement of Jesus, picking up in verse 44. Are you there? If you're reading on the screen, say amen. amen. All right. Don't forget you can follow along with our app notes on Triumph Church app. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. The light from the, from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. If you grew up like I did reading the New King James, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If you grew up reading the King James Version, if you're of that age bracket, Father, (laughs) into your hands I commend my spirit. And with those words, he breathed. His last. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you want to speak to our hearts and our lives. You want to do something special in this place today. You want to remind us of some things. You want us to encourage us. But Lord, you also want to challenge us with the words of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you today. Let my words not be mere words of man's wisdom, but lace them with the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your son, Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people said? Amen. Amen. It's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday gets gets its name because on the Sunday before Jesus was resurrected from the grave, He made his final entrance into Jerusalem. Palm Sunday Road actually began in a small village or a small town called Bethany, which is just a mile or so outside of Jerusalem. Jesus had some very good friends that lived in Bethany that he often stayed with, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. If you remember the story about Lazarus who was raised from the grave, they lived in Bethany. And so that's where Jesus begins his journey. And, and as he travels kind of down the tops of these ridges, uh, the, the city of Jerusalem, is a, there, there are several mountains and ridges and valleys that, that separate the city. It's a beautiful town. As you know, I was just spent a few days there. And my mind was open and my eyes were open to really get an understanding of what Jesus did. And so Jesus makes his way from Bethany, and he stands atop the Mount of Olives. Now, I'm about to show you a picture uh, of Lindsay and I on the, t- t- on the top of the Mount of Olives, but it's beautiful. It drops, it, it seems like straight off, but you know, we're all these flatland people down here in Beaumont. But it's not straight down, but it is a pretty steep uh, side of the mountain there. It's all a graveyard, or mostly a graveyard now. 
Uh, and the reason it's a graveyard is because it's believed in the Jewish tradition that when the Messiah returns and, and those who are dead will be uh, resurrected from the grave, it's going to start right there. So they all want to be buried on the Mount of Olives so they can be first in line. <laughs> no man left behind, right? So it's just, I mean, it's like grave after grave after grave. So here's the first picture of Pastor Lindsay and I standing on top of the Mount of Olives. And I want to show you something here. Look how beautiful she is. Goodness gracious. Just going to take a moment in the presence of the Lord. Okay. Do you see the golden dome right there? Uh, and then just in front of that, I need like a little laser pointer. Uh, just in front of that, there is a stone wall that stretches all the way from her shoulder all the way to the side of the screen. Um, that is the temple wall. That is the temple mount. If you know anything about Jerusalem, you understand that the, uh, the Muslims control the temple mount now. Jews are not even allowed to go up. But this is when Jesus, when Jesus came to the Mount of Olives, he wouldn't have seen that golden dome. He would have seen a massive temple. He also wouldn't, you can see the city of Jerusalem and the tall buildings behind it. You wouldn't have seen any of that. Most of it would have been green and with this massive temple sticking up out of the top of it. Now you understand when Jesus says these words, in three days the temple would be torn down and rebuilt. Not one stone will be left unturned. He's looking at something, and, and again, none of this stuff is here, the brick road. It's just, it's just a hill going down the side. It's a hill going up to the temple mount and the temple on top. And they're looking at this, this, the largest structure in all of Jerusalem and, and most of the world that they had ever seen because many of them had never been to Rome. And they're looking at it saying, how is that going to be torn down and rebuilt in three days? Jesus begins his journey right here. Here's another picture for you. Um, this, we had a little service right here on the mine, uh, side again, and it just right on the other side of that um, iron fence, it just drops right off. Um, here's something interesting for you as well. Uh, if you, as you go down to the bottom and then back up, what we're looking at right here is what's called the eastern wall or the eastern gate. The eastern gate. Now, uh, uh, biblical, uh, the, the, the Bible also says that when the Messiah comes, he is going to come down the Mount of Olives and he's going to descend down the Mount of Olives and the Messiah is going to go into this eastern gate. Here's what's in interesting. Uh, the, the Islamic people obviously do not believe in, in Scripture. Uh, they think it's all a lie. But what they know is that the Messiah is a priest. And a priest cannot walk through a graveyard. So what they did, what you see on all those tiered and all those things right in front of the wall, that's actually an Islamic graveyard. So they walled off the eastern gate. They stoned up the eastern gate so you can't open it. And then they built a graveyard so that if they're wrong and the Jews are right, when the Messiah returns, he won't be able to get in the gate because he can't go through the graveyard. So what happens is Jesus gets to the top of this mountain and he's looking over the city. The disciples didn't fully understand what Jesus was looking at when he was overlooking the city. But don't you know that Jesus did? In fact, Jesus had already told them, when I get to Jerusalem, they're going to do horrible things to me. We'll read the scripture in a minute. And I'm going to die. And he is looking over the place knowing what is coming. But the people are singing his praises. Next picture, if you would. The people are singing his praises, and they're laying down palm branches, and they're throwing their clothes down on the street. Oh, look, there's, there's my mom and Pastor Lindsay riding at a camel at the top of the Mount of Olives. 
that was quite a sight for sore eyes. Next picture. So here we are, we're walking down what's called Palm Sunday Road. This is part of the road that Jesus would have walked down. Of course, it's paved now. It wouldn't have been paved in his day. It was a little bit more switchback at the time. But we're walking down Palm Sunday Road. And as, we're, as, they, as Jesus was walking down, they're throwing their clothes and they're throwing these palm branches down. And they're crying, Hosanna, praise the Lord, praise the Messiah. And they're walking down because they're saying, Jesus, you are so important. You are so honored, you are so revered, you are so much the King and the Messiah that we don't even want your feet to touch this dirty ground, so we're going to lay our own clothes down so you can walk on top of them. That's what's happening as, they're going, as we're going down. We end up in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where the, the road meets a main crossing road. Jesus would have gone on from here. Go to the next picture for me, guys. Of course, we know what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is where Jesus played, prayed three times until drops of blood poured from his forehead. This tree right here is almost a thousand years old. It's, it's an olive tree that's almost a thousand years old. Uh, that's my, my mom and I, and that's my grandfather's um, prayer uh, shawl that he got 20-something years ago when he was there. And as you know, he's, he's at the end of his life, and so we brought it there, and we took a picture with it, and we prayed over him and prayed over his life. One more picture, and you can see you get a little bit pic- better picture. This is what the garden looks like today. There's a Catholic church right next to it. And they take care of, of all this garden. It's beautiful. And you can understand why uh, they would go down in this garden. And people like to be in this garden. It's a beautiful, the, the olive trees make for great shade in the heat of the day. And so here's Jesus and, he, and he's coming down. Now, he, he is preparing for what's about to happen. He's preparing for what he's facing. It's Palm Sunday. In Jesus' day, the Jewish religion was a religion of sacrifice. It was a people that understood blood and sacrifice. Now, we don't have a religion of sacrifice so much anymore, nor do the Jews. In Jesus' day, as they prepared for uh, Palm Sunday, the Passover, and and, and all of these uh, celebrations, people would be bringing their lambs and they would literally be sacrificing. There could have been 100,000 lambs sacrificed in, in, on the weekend in this small city of Jerusalem. They say that at times there was so much blood that the, that the streets ran with rivers of blood because there were so many sacrifices going on. Because the Jewish religion in Jesus' day was a religion of sacrifice. Now it's no longer a religion of sacrifice. The temple has been destroyed. They don't make uh, they don't go every year and sacrifice a lamb any longer. But the Jewish religion is now a religion of prayer. It's a religion of traditions, and it's a religion of laws. They don't have a place to sacrifice, so instead they pray. It's always been a religion of prayer. It's even more so now. Whereas before the religion was, was based on sacrifice, now it's based on prayer. you okay this morning? Am I boring anybody? So... Um, so every day, now, and all the way back to Jesus, but, he, but especially shortly after Jesus, but I said to you a moment ago that the temple would be destroyed and in three days would be rebuilt. rebuilt. This actually happened in that, uh, as Jesus prophesied in the year 70 AD, the Romans invaded Jerusalem because the Jews kept rebelling again and again against the Roman Empire. So they finally invaded and they took over the city and they literally tore down the temple and they threw the stones over the side of the wall. 
They threw them down in order to break them open because they were covered in gold. And they were trying to get all the gold. They were trying to, to take all the gold from the temple and take it back to Rome. And so they threw the stones over the side of the wall. When the stones would land on the street uh, 40 and 50 feet below, they would break open and then they could melt the gold that had seeped down into the cracks of the stone. Why is this important? Because they took all of the gold. Our, our guide is a, was a, a great uh, Jewish uh, man. He's a, he's a tank commander. Uh, he's a Messianic Jew, believes in Jesus the Christ. And, uh, he, but he talked about how when he went to Rome, everyone's looking around and ooing and aahing at all the great things that Rome did. And he is looking at the very same buildings, recognizing that those buildings were built on the back of Jewish slaves and with the gold that came from the temple. It's a different view of the city of Rome. So day after day, Jewish people, especially uh, observant Jewish priests, rabbis, um, or even if you're not a priest or a rabbi, you're just an observant Jew, you say certain prayers every single day. What we have to understand is while Jesus was the Messiah, while Jesus was God, the Bible refers to him, to him as our high priest. The disciples referred to him as rabbi. Remember when they were at the, at the Lord's Supper, at the Passover meal, and Jesus said, someone's going to betray me? And they said, rabbi, is it I? Because Jesus was an observant Jew. He went to the temple and prayed. He brought sacrifices. He paid his temple tax. And he prayed the prayers you were supposed to pray every single day. Why am I telling you all that? Because there is a prayer that Jews pray every night. It's the last night prayer they pray before they go to bed. And it is actually a quote from Psalm 31 and 5, which also happens to be the very same scripture that Jesus is fulfilling when he's hanging on the cross. Literally in Psalm 31 and 5, it says, I entrust my spirit into your hand. Remember, Jesus had to fulfill all messianic prophecies. And so here he is at the end of his life. He lifts up on the nails and he says, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Into your hands I commit my spirit. He is literally quoting, first of all, Psalm 31 and 5. But secondly, Here's what, we have to, here's what we have to get from this. Jesus is about 33 years old. Every day of his life, he had ended his day by praying this prayer. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I entrust my spirit into your hands. Jesus was living out what he had been praying every day for his entire life. I, I want to talk to you for just a few moments about what these verses mean. The first thing they mean is this. The changing of hands is a picture of changing power or changing control. For instance, Pastor Brandon, jump up here with me real quick. If I have uh, my iPhone here, I have it in my hand. I am in control of it, right? I can call you. I can text you. I can open up an app. I can read a Bible verse. I can look something up on the internet. 
Uh, I can turn the alarm on at my house or turn the alarm off at my house. There's a million things I can do because in my hands I have the control or I have the power. But if I turn if, and I put this into his hands, I no longer have control. How many of you, when, when, when somebody picks up your phone, you get a little nervous all of a sudden? You're like, what are you doing with my phone? Right? Why? Well, what are you going to do with it? Who are you going to call? Y- your kids grab your phone. Maybe, you're ju- maybe it's just my kid. What game are you about to buy? <laughs> your wife gets your phone. What are you about to download and listen to? What you, I, it's, a, it's about to cost me money when I turn over control to someone else's hands. Here's another one for you. Even more personal. This is my, my, my debit card, right? When I have this card in my hand, as long as, there, as long as I have money in my account, I have control over what happens to the money. I can swipe this. I can purchase things. I can buy food. I can give money. I can do whatever I want to so long as I have this card in my hand. But if I hand over my card to Pastor Brandon... I am giving over control to him. When I put it in his hand, he now has control. What does he have control over? He has control over my money. I'll take that back. (laughs) Are you with me? Remember, Jesus is saying this. This is his last words. This is his last moment. As soon as he says these words, he breathes his last and he dies. If, I were, if, if Pastor Lindsay and I were to pass today, and I look at my life and I say, what's the most important thing I have in my life that, that I would want to make sure was given over to somebody? Uh, it would probably be my kids. I say probably. They've been good today. No, it would be my kids. So if I were, if I were, if, if we were laying on our deathbed, we were writing out what we, what do we call a will and testament, our last will and testament. We take the most important things of our life and we make sure that they are prepared to change hands. So if I'm going to pass my kids to someone, I'm looking around my life and I'm saying, who am I really mad at right now? God, we'll get that in a minute. No, no, I'm saying who is trustworthy? Who has the physical health to be able to to raise these kids? Who has the financial well-being? Because if you've raised kids, you know they're not cheap. Who has the mental strength and the mental capacity to help train them up and raise them up? Who has the walk with God that will raise them in the house of God, in the ways of God? Because I'm not going to leave with my kids with with someone who's going to lead them down a different path. I want someone who's going to lead them down the path of righteousness. And so I look around and I consider who would be the best person to turn over control or turn over power or turn over the leadership of my kids into their hands. Here's Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. He looks around at his life and he says, what is the most important thing that I have? What's the most valuable thing that I have? Let me make sure it gets into the right hands. And Jesus says these words. It's my spirit that's the most valuable thing that I have. I entrust my spirit into your hands. Jesus wore wore a beautiful robe. um, It's so much so that at the end of his life, they cast dice to try to see who would win his robe. But Jesus didn't say, 
into your hands. I give you my robe. Jesus didn't say, man, I've been loving these sandals. I've been wearing them for a while, and they just are really nice. So, uh, Father, into your hands, I commend my sandals. No. He didn't, he didn't even say, Father, into your hands, I give you my mother whom I dearly love. No. He gave her to John. He said, Father, you're the most powerful person I know. And I'm going to give you the most important thing I have, and that is my spirit. So the question is, what does he mean when he is using the word spirit here? The word spirit here is translated in the Greek as pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. And it translates as this, and, and we use it in a couple different ways, but in this instance, it is used to mean this. It's the rational spirit. It's the power by which the human being feels thinks and decides you may know it as your soul here's what jesus says father i'm hanging on the cross and all of my enemies are around me and they're saying to me throw yourself down if you are the messiah if you are the christ if you are the son of god make a decision to bring yourself down from the cross and jesus says lord the most important thing i have is my rational spirit my soul it's the only thing in me that's eternal everything this body will 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 uh, will die away uh, of, of these clothes will be gone but my soul my spirit that is eternal that's what the enemy's trying to steal and bring to hell and that's what Jesus came to redeem and so he says this is the most important thing I have it's my ability to make a decision my ability to feel my ability to think father while I still can I make a decision to give it to you Our soul, it was believed to be in in the Jewish uh, culture the life force that gave the body the ability to move and breathe. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What a challenge to us all. In your most difficult moment, in your biggest trials, in, in your hardest days, do you stand before God and say, Lord, I give you my spirit. Why? Because, Lord, I'm giving you the ability to make decisions in my life. I'm giving you my mind and my thoughts. I'm giving you my feelings or my emotions. Why, why could Jesus do this? Jesus handed it all over to him because here's the truth. He had already been doing this daily. He had been ending his prayer every night. And he just lived it out one more time as an observant Jew. He's saying... Uh, look, I've already been in this habit, Jesus, at the, uh, Father. At the end of my day, I say, into your hands I commit my spirit. So here I am at the end of my life in my most difficult time, and I'm not going to take it back. But one more time, I'm giving it to you. I give you my mind. I give you my emotions. I give you my feelings. I give it all to you. Can we say that? Let me ask you this question. Will the habits that you create in, in good times sustain you in your hardest times? Jesus had already created this habit every night when things were going well, when they were trying to celebrate and make him king, and he was having to hide from the 5,000. He, he was saying, into your hands I commit my spirit, and then hanging on the cross at the end of everything, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. What we do in the good times, the habits we build, will they sustain you when things get difficult? 
Are you okay this morning? A lot of you are just staring at me. I, I, let's, let's lighten it up a little bit. Uh, a famous uh, Christian bumper sticker looks just like this. Jesus is my co-pilot. How many of you say Jesus is your co-pilot? A few of you. Some of you are like, no. So we're living our life and we're saying, Jesus, you're in the co-pilot seat with me. You're helping me fly this plane. You're helping me live my life. You're helping me make decisions. It's a wonderful thing. Jesus is my co-pilot. Here's the problem. This bumper sticker is totally wrong. Jesus is not going to be a co-pilot. I'm sorry. God, he, he functions a little differently than that. Either he is the pilot or he is no pilot. But what do we do? We sit in the, in, in the pilot seat. We want Jesus to be there with us. So we're flying along and everything is smooth and we think we're doing well. And then the, we hit turbulence and the masks are coming down and the people are panicking and our, and our wife is losing her mind and our kids are crying and the steward's screaming and everything is going crazy and you don't know what's going on. So you're like, Jesus, take the wheel. And he's like, no, you got us here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hand it over to me now. Isn't that what we do in our life? When, when everything's going good, I, I got this, Jesus, I'll take over. And then things go bad and we're like, Jesus, what do we do? So we race back to church and we start praying again. And all of a sudden we're going to pray before every meal. We ain't prayed in six months. We're going to pray before our meal now. We pray at night before we go to bed. We start reading scriptures. Why? Because the turbulence of our life is hit. What if every day we prayed the prayer of Jesus, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. I'm turning it over you, to you today. I'm not going to be the co-pilot. I'm not going to be the pilot. I'm just going to be in back. I'll just be taking care. I'll be the steward. I'll be serving at your whim. You just tell me where you want to go. You just tell me how you want to get there. I'm just along for the ride. You see, we mix the theology of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ with the American dream. And we think that we're going to dream it and God's going to bless it. We think that whatever I want to do, whatever I want to be, Jesus loves me so much, he's going to bless those dreams. He never promised that. He never said that. He, that, that's not anywhere in Scripture. It says, He has a plan for me, a plan not to prosper me and not to harm me, plan to prosper me and not to harm me, but give me a hope and a future. It's His plan, His hope, His future, not even mine. I need to get out of the cockpit and I needed to get back and do some serving. Just, Lord, you know, you've been flying planes since the beginning of time. What am I going to tell you? What am I going to tell you, Jesus, that you don't know? What am I going to tell you about my life that you don't know? What am I going to tell you about the circumstances that you don't know? What am I going to tell you about the devil that you don't know, Jesus? You already defeated him. So why am I trying to get involved? Why don't I let you fly the plane and I'll go to the back and just do whatever you tell me to do? Jesus isn't my co-pilot. He's the pilot. He's flying the plane. He's the only pilot. If this plane goes down, it's just going to have to go down, Lord. If we make it to our destination, according to your will. But I'm not going to take over. Try to take it from Jesus the moment things get difficult. Jesus didn't. He's hanging on the cross. And he says, 
this is about as difficult time as I've ever been in, Father. So let me just make it clear. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. When times got rough in your life, maybe you're going through a difficult time right now. Did you take control back? Or have you let Jesus stay in control? Let me ask you this question. Whose hands would be better, yours or God's? Whose hands would you rather have the power in? Yours? With your limited power, with your limited knowledge, with your limited understanding, with your limited wisdom, or God's with unlimited power, unlimited wisdom, unlimited understanding. He has the power to create. He has the power to judge. In his hands is the power to redeem. In his hands, the power to liberate. In his hands, the power to assist you and the power to sustain you. God's hands are all powerful, all knowing. They are sure. They are faithful. And they are never failing. They are hands that are full of physical strength and unlimited resources. He doesn't struggle with his emotional health. Why would I want the power myself? Why not give it to Jesus? I'm not just turning my spirit over to anyone. I'm turning my spirit over to the one. Second thing I want to tell you today is this. Jesus willingly laid down his spirit. Will you? Jesus wasn't forced to. As a matter of fact, here's what he says in John chapter 10, verse 18. No one can take my life from me. No one. I sacrifice it voluntarily. Notice here, not even God the Father took his life. No one. Jesus said, I sacrifice it or I lay it down voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when when I want to and also to take it up again. Here's what you have to know. When Jesus was hanging on the cross and the mockers were saying to him, take yourself down off there if you are the Son of God. Here's what Jesus says in John. I have the authority to take myself down off this cross. I'm choosing not to. For this is what my Father has commanded. The Father God gave him the authority and gave him a mission. And said, your mission is to sacrifice your life but I'm also giving you the authority, the free will to make the decision yourself. In your life, God will give you missions. He will give you commands. He will give you instructions and He will give you directions. But you have to lay your own life down willingly. He won't take it from you. He won't. He won't sacrifice it for you. You have to say, Jesus, here I am. Just like you hung on the cross, here I am. I commit my life into your hands. I commend my life, my spirit, my mind, my emotions, that my, my ability to decide, I put it in your hands. You're struggling with a decision today? You're struggling with your emotions today? Father, right now, I am willingly, while I can still make a decision, no one is taking my life, no one is stealing it from me, I am willingly giving it over to you. Is this something that we do? Is this something that we practice? Or do we say, well, I don't really want to live for God today. I, I, I don't really feel like it. 
Well, normally I do, Pastor, but you know, today, it was just really tough today, so, so I took my life back. No, every single day, Jesus prayed the same prayer, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, in the good days and the bad days. If you knew what I was going through, Pastor Randon, you would understand, maybe I would, but Jesus wouldn't, because I can guarantee you, your day, your week, your month, your year, your life has not been any worse than the day Jesus hung on the cross and said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Well, I tried to, Pastor Randon, but it wasn't working out. I get it. You got to stick with it. Did it look like it was working out for Jesus? No, but he didn't take it back. He didn't get to the cross and say, man, guys, I didn't think it was going to go like this. That's enough of this. I'm coming down off of this cross. No, he looked around and said, yeah, this was pretty hard. But still into your hands, I commit my spirit. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. How often do we have to take it up? Every day. Pastor Aaron, I overslept this morning and I didn't, and I ran out of coffee. And so Jesus is just going to have to understand. Y'all know any people like that? Just, just if, you, if you don't have coffee, it's going to be a rough day. No. Every day, I take up my cross. If you carry the cross of Jesus long enough, it's going to put you in some very difficult places. Every single day, I take up my cross and I say, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I take off walking. Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, he says, if you are trying to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Have you laid down your life willingly? You see, what we do when things are easy matters. But what we do when things are difficult, that's what separates genuine followers of Jesus Christ. Here's how Jesus said it. He's standing before his disciples. He's standing before the Jewish leaders of the day and the crowds. He says, you have heard it said that you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say to you, separation, love your neighbors and love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's what Jesus said. He said, look, every religion under the sun Loves the people that love them. Every, every, every people group under the sun, it's easy to love the people who are just like you, who think like you, who look like you, who talk like you, who value the same things you value. It's easy to love them. But can you love everyone? Can you even love the people that hate you? Can you pray for the people that are persecuting you? Persecution. Jesus is literally speaking into their future. Hey, guys, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be martyred for the sake of the gospel. Can you pray for them while they are taking your life? Because that's what Jesus did. It's, it's easy to do the right thing, to turn it over in Jesus' hands when everything is going well. But what do you do when things get difficult? That's what separates true followers of Jesus Christ. We had a chance, and I'm, I'm closing now, but we had a chance to go, I mentioned this a little bit last week, to the to Caiaphas' house. Caiaphas was the high priest, and I'll show you a picture here. He was the high priest of that day. 
And he's the one that pronounced Jesus guilty of blasphemy. And I'm standing right now. This is his house over to the right there. I'm standing kind of up on the hill. His house is on the side of the hill, very near the, near the city of David. Uh, if you're standing where I'm taking this picture from, over to your left is the Temple Mount. And the Garden of Gethsemane is at the base. And the, the, um, the road that they drug Jesus up kind of goes around the base of the Temple Mount and straight up to Caiaphas' house here. The stones are still there. This is the courtyard. Jesus is just inside the door to the right, the, the archway to the right. Of course, all this was rebuilt later, but you, you just have to track with me. This is the same place. This is where Jesus was thrown into the stone pit. And this is the courtyard where Peter stood. And just a few hours before, when everything was going well and Jesus was sitting having the Last Supper, in an upper room with his disciples and Jesus says all of you will deny me this night Peter says Lord I will never deny you and Jesus says no 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 all of you will deny me this night and Jesus says and Peter says Jesus even if I should die with you I will never deny you and if you'll put this picture up this is the courtyard where he's standing and there's a fire just over to the left side of the picture and he's warming his hands and the little peasant girl comes through. Jesus is in prison. Jesus is being pronounced guilty, which means death is coming his way. And they say, you look like, you look like one of the followers of, followers of Jesus. And Peter says, no, that's not me. Another one comes through and says, yeah, but you are the guy. Peter says, no, it's not me. Another one comes through and says, you look like a man from Galilee. And he says, no, it's not me. And at that moment, the rooster crows. It's at this spot when things got difficult that he took back up his life. And he ran and he hid. He had made it this far. We can talk bad about Peter. But look. He made it through the good times and the bad times with Jesus. He went through the garden, and when they arrested him, he pulled out his sword and he chopped the ear off. He was ready to fight until Jesus said, put your sword away and healed the man's ear. You can talk bad about Peter, but no other disciple was at, had made it this far. And yet Jesus got, uh, Peter got there, and still he denied Jesus. Because anyone can follow Jesus when things are going easy. Who can follow Jesus when you're standing outside Caiaphas' house? When things get difficult? When the storms are raging in your life? When you're being persecuted? When it feels like you're being crucified? When all you want to do is serve Jesus and yet things aren't going well? Do we then say, no? Not today, Jesus. I'm, I'm not going to commend my hands into your spirit. I'm not going to commit my life into your spirit. But Jesus did. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And here's what the Bible says. It mentions three groups of people. It says, first of all, the Roman officer who was overseeing the entire crucifixion. He had seen countless dozens maybe hundreds of crucifixions we don't even know we know this wasn't his first we know he had seen it many many times but when Jesus says these words here's what the Bible says 
He worshiped God. We know now Rome to be a Christian nation, the Roman Catholic Church, but it wasn't at this time. It was a pagan, hateful, ugly country as it relates to God. And yet he falls down on his knees and he worshiped God and he says, surely this man is innocent. Another translation said, surely this man is righteous. What's going on? What Jesus did on the cross helped this man understand who he really was. Jesus is who he said he was. There was another crew there called the crowd. It's the very same crowd that had said, crucify him, crucify him. We want to keep Barabbas. We want to keep the, the criminal. We want to crucify Jesus. We want, we, whipping him is not enough. We want him dead. And yet here's what he says. When the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. They went from crucify him to what did we do? happened because of the words of Jesus and the love of Jesus through the midst of adversity. May I ask you this question? To your enemies, what are your words saying to them? What is your life saying to them? And then finally there were his friends. And they stayed around a little while. They took down the body of Jesus and they put it in a tomb. They wrapped him in uh, the shroud and the, and the things that they did, the linens, and they put him in the tomb. But when they left there, they went and hid, and they locked their doors because they were afraid that the same people that came for Jesus would come for them. The same people that had pointed out Peter and caused him to run had caused everyone to go into hiding. They forgot the promise of Jesus. Forgot what he had said. Here's, here's the words of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. He wasn't hiding it. He told them plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the lead priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead they hid because they had heard the words of Jesus and he had told them plainly but it never made sense to them and suddenly here they are Jesus has died and they forgot the promise I want to encourage you with this today wherever you are whatever you're going through don't forget the promise of Jesus don't forget don't forget. It's easy to forget when the world is spinning, when, when the world is trying to crucify you, when they're hunting you down, when your enemies are swarming all around you. It's easy to forget and take your life back and go into hiding and go your own way and say, well, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I got it wrong. No, no, no. You didn't get it wrong. Jesus loves you. He came. He died for you. And he rose again on the third day. And the same power that lives in Jesus lives on the inside of you. And if he promised it, he will never let one word return void. Don't forget the promise I want to conclude with this can you say like Jesus said 
Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. I'm not going to take it back. When things get difficult, I'm not going to take back my decision-making power, my thought life, my emotions, my personality. I'm not taking it all back. It's in your hands. I'm putting it in you. You're all-powerful, all-knowing. You're capable of it all. What do I know? I'm limited in all my ways, so I'm putting it in your hands. That's our prayer today. Can you close your eyes and bow your heads with me for just a moment? My question to you is, have you taken your life back? Not did you ever give it to Jesus, not did, uh, did, did you give to him when things are going well, but have you taken your life back? And if you have, I want to pray a prayer today where we give our lives back to Jesus. Our spirits, our minds, our emotions, our thought life, our decision-making power, we give it back to Jesus. If you want to pray that prayer with me, would you just slip up your hand if you want to pray that prayer with me again? Let's give it back to Jesus. Yeah, hands going up all over. Father, we stand here today, and some of us in this room are in good times. Others of us, we're in okay times, but some of us, Father, we are in terrible times. We feel like we're being crucified. We feel like our enemies have surrounded us like you, they did you, Jesus. And they surrounded us like David did when he wrote in Psalm 35. But Lord, we are standing here today to say to you once again, into your hands we entrust our spirit. We commit our spirit. We commend our spirit. We are giving it to you. We give you our thoughts. We give you our decision-making power. We give you our emotions, our feelings. Lord, any feelings that are not of you, any emo emotions that are not of you, we turn them over to you. We give you our life, our most precious possession, our soul. We give it all to you, God. And we declare that you are the Lord of our lives. You are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. Are all you are ever-faithful. You will never fail us. You will never leave us. But Jesus, you are with us even now. So forgive us for taking our life back. We give it to you once and for all. And Lord, I speak over these people that you know the plans you have for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us, but to give us a hope and a future. We will not forget your promise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.